I'm really amazed at how open CMOs, you know, these are the world's leading brands, like how open they are with their playbook mm. and what they're trying to accomplish. Because a lot of times when we pitch business, you're signing NDAs, you know, you've got like right. their, their plan, their future plans on lock and you can't, you know, it's all confidential. Right. And I'm surprised in the podcast forum how open marketers are to, to tell you yeah. what's what's coming, how they think. They just sort of are an open book. And that's been surprising. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Build Your Network podcast, the only top-rated show committed to helping you grow your business, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Let's get into the show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I think this is a three-peat, a three-peat guest, third the time trifecta. on the show. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you guys go back and listen to his past episodes. But today, we're bringing back on the show, Jason Harris. Jason is the co-founder and CEO of the award-winning creative ad agency, Mechanism. He's the co-founder of the Creative Alliance and author of the national bestseller, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. He works closely with brands through a blend of creativity and performance, and uh, they call that approach soul and science. Iconic brands include Peloton, Ben & Jerry's, Jose Cuervo, Alaska Airlines, Charles Schwab, OkCupid, and many, many more. In case you've heard of maybe one or two of those companies, this is the guy that does a lot of their marketing and ad creatives and stuff like that for them. And so now he's doing something that he has not done before and started his very own podcast, which I'm super excited to talk about here on the show. So Jason, what's up, dude? Welcome. What's up, Travis? Thank you so much. I always love coming on here. Yeah, man. It's been uh, uh, it's funny. I was thinking back through that. It's been, been three times now, uh, So Far to Persuasion when that came out. And then uh, we, I think we just did one just for fun um, a little while back. And, yeah. then, uh, and then now the podcast came out. So I want to hear from your perspective, man. I, and I know that, you know, it, just to give people a glimpse, how many people you have working at, at Mechanism now? A little over 200. Okay. So a little over 200 offices in multiple cities now? Yeah, we got Seattle, LA, Chicago, SF, and New York. But really, yeah, New, York, so, New York and SF are the big ones. Yeah. So basically, you found the five most expensive markets in the United States and said, let's sign a lease there. <laughs> yeah. And I signed, I signed my New York lease, which is the most expensive one, about six months before COVID. So. Oh, no. Before. That's not good. That's a bad business move. Six months after COVID would have been fantastic, probably. Yeah. That was a bad business move. You know? Yeah. I mean, can't really call that black swan out of nowhere, right? That's true. Okay, so I, I wanted to I wanted to ask that because I want some context to why I'm curious about your decision to start a podcast. Because a lot of people, like most solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, you know, kind of experts, coaches, consultants, anybody with less than ten employees, I'm like, why not have a podcast? It's a very good use of your time. You can network with a lot of people, get a lot of people to know who you are who didn't originally know who you are. But I'm curious why uh, someone like you, who has multiple offices, ton of employees, high revenue working with Fortune 50 brands, Fortune 500 brands. Why start a podcast? What did you view as being the advantage of having that? There's sort of a business reason for it, but I, I, I like to think my altruistic motives are supersede the business reasons. But you know, when I, when I first wrote the book a few years back, it was also to pass on as an entrepreneur sort of my code of building a business, that the business was based on character, how persuasion is involved in everything that we do in our lives. Uh, my view on that, that you can have character and run a healthy business 
and take care of your employees. And, and so that was my blueprint that I felt I wanted to put out into the world. So I collected, you know, 20 plus years of, of building a business. And, and that was the, the, the idea, the genesis behind the book. And then the podcast, I was learning so much from all the various big brands that we work on. Yeah. Uh, like Jose Cuervo is entering the metaverse. You know, why do brands get into the metaverse? Uh, I talked to the CMO of New Balance about how to transform a 116-year-old brand and make it modern and relevant. So I was kind of learning a lot of these things through my conversations and through work. And I thought, man, this would be like, I shouldn't just write in my journal and know these things. I want to put it out into the kind of marketing universe and and let other people hear about it. So I found a, an angle that I thought hadn't really been covered. And so I thought that was a good way to do it. And then I think the business reason is I can reach out now to... The podcast is all either founders of brands, CEOs, or CMOs. So it's really just, you know, yours is like connecting people with the 1%. Mine's the you know, best marketers in the world. Like that's my filter for who I have on the show. Yeah. And of course, like the business reason is I can have a CMO on with a brand that I love and I want to work with. And it's a way for me to spend an hour and make a connection with a with someone that I could potentially work with that is different than, hey, I'd love to show you my creds deck and talk about mechanism and why right. we're amazing. So we can pitch you work. Right, exactly. This was, this was a way to build a connection with the best marketers in the world that I always wanted to meet and always wanted to learn their philosophies. And so I can, you know, maybe one day in the future we'll work together, but you know, I, I don't have them on the podcast and then, you know, ask them for work. Of course I build a relationship with them, Yeah, but that's the business reason. But, but it inevitably leads to work. Yeah. I hope right? so. Yeah. I, hope yeah, I mean, no, that's, that's kind of what, it, that's kind of what my argument is always with people. Cause some people have turned it into like a sales pitch, you know, where, where you they ask you to come on your show and then you jump on and then they ask you kind of leading questions the whole time. And at the end, they try to close you into their program, or whatever. And I'm like, absolutely do not use a podcast for that. I've actually been that's happened to me before. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? What's happening here? Yeah. You're like, wait, I thought that you were bringing me on to add value to your audience because you respected me, but ultimately you just want to sell me on something. Like it's so, it's just, it turns into a gross situation. That also, uh, a side note, uh, real quick, that's also happened to me with people who act like they want to pick my brain for mentorship. Yeah. But they really ask me questions about, (laughs) would you be interested? And you know what I mean? So that's also happened in the non podcast world. And it really leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah. When when you're you're really misleading and like sneaky about it. Because the thing is, like, especially when you're talking to people like you, you're, you're talking to like seasoned, Entrepreneurs and marketers, right. like they, yeah. you don't like, you really don't think that they're going to realize that that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what you did. You know, they're like, I mean? oh, I got, I got tricked into signing a yeah uh, deal that I didn't realize I was signing. <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden, I'm trading forex and crypto now. Yeah, yeah, that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that never happens. So yeah, that's point. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, what I was going to say is like, my my whole thing is is it's the sneakiest way to bring in customers because like it's not an intentional selling point it's just an it's it's an intentional connection point and flat out bottom line the more hands you shake the more money you make and especially if you're packed full of credibility you have a fantastic reputation and you deliver extremely well on products and services that you have the more conversations you have with qualified decision makers the more that's going to lead to business at some point 
And if it doesn't, you still had an amazing conversation with somebody. You still learned a lot. You still cultivated a connection. And the and the you know partnership may not come in the next thirty days, but in three years, sure, four years, five years, a long enough time horizon, those relationships mature over that time period, and they always lead to something good. I think they. I mean, that's so true. They always lead down the road. All your connections, if you stoke them and stay in touch, they do always lead to positive results in the end. And you're never yeah. sure. It's not linear, but it always ends up happening. Yep. Even though, you know, groups you pay to be in, mentorships, masterminds, yeah, it's all it's all leading to the same road for sure. So start a podcast. And by the way, while we're while we're talking about it, it's the Soul and Science podcast. Uh, yeah, it's Soul and Science Podcast. I can give you a quick like elevator pitch on Yeah, please. Cover, but you know, Soul and Science is what we stand for as a company. And it's really about matching creativity with performance. That's really what soul and science means. But I interview CMOs. You know, from brands like uh, you know, I mentioned a couple, but but GE to you know Carter's to Hint Water. I know you had some Zillow. I know you've you've had some of those people actually on your salt on your show, or people starting a business like I had Sam Parr on about how he marketed the hustle. So yeah, I, I, I talk about those types of things. But the idea is: Does marketing live in the heart or in the head? Do you, do you trust your instinct or your integers? You know, are you making decisions based on data and insights, or as a CMO and a marketer, are you making decisions based on taste and culture and and the gut? And mm-hmm. so it's always a balance. But different CMOs make decisions in different ways. They might focus more on performance and results, or they might focus more on what the brand stands for and doing big emotional anthemic brand work. And so that's really what we cover. And then each podcast has a sub theme underneath that. And I try to keep them to around, you know, the basic cliff note is you can fast forward your marketing mind in about 20 minutes. So I try to, I record them for an hour and then try to condense just the the real pertinent information so that it's, it's uh, you know, you can listen to it on a walk or a short, short Uber and kind of get, get the quick hit of the impact of the marketing. What's been the biggest shock or surprise, maybe just something that you didn't expect uh, by getting into the podcast space? From the, the content or from building it? Yeah, content, marketing, uh, I'd say, interviewing, I'd say, logistics, like anything that you were like, oh man, th- this is definitely different than I was expecting coming into this. I'm really amazed at how open CMOs, you know, these are the world's leading brands, like, how open they are with their playbook mm. and what they're trying to accomplish. Because a lot of times when we pitch business, you're signing NDAs, you know, you've got like right. their, their plan, their future plans on lock and you can't, you know, it's all confidential. Right. And I'm surprised in the podcast forum, how open marketers are to, to tell yeah. you what's, what's coming, how they think they just sort of are an open book. And that's been surprising. You know, I thought I'd have to uh, maybe dance around things a little more, but they're yeah. they're ready to come on and and tell me exactly how they do what they're doing. And that's been a surprise. Yeah, you know, when I when I first started my show, this is like 2017, somewhere in the middle of the year, I was prepping to launch. At the time I was doing three episodes a week, three interviews a week. So I was like I I always tell people try to launch with with two months of content. And so two months of content for me was like 24 episodes plus three to five at launch. So I was literally recording like almost 30 episodes before I launched. 
And I reached out to a bunch of people who, you know, they, they didn't see that it was pre-launch. So like they didn't have any physical evidence that what I was telling them was actually true. You know what I mean? That I had a podcast or that a podcast was coming out or we we're working on something. Oh, yeah, you know, right. All I could say is like, we're, we're getting ready to launch this show. But before this, I, I was just, I was a door-to-door sales guy. Like I had zero name, no company, no reputation, like none of that stuff. So I was cold reach outs, blindly reaching out to people. And there's a couple of people that at the time were like bigger names for me. And I remember reaching out to them and not asking them to come on the podcast because I thought that was a really big ask. So I was like, hey, can I get three minutes of your time on a quick call? I have a single question for you about this topic of networking or whatever I said, but it was a single question for you. Three minute phone call. Would love to hear back from you. Two people, again, both pretty big names for me at the time, email me back and say, I don't do phone calls. And at first it was like, ah, oh, bummer. There's the rejection or whatever, you know? And I tried again and I mentioned something about my podcast, whether it was in my email signature or I said something to them. But both of them said no to a three-minute one-on-one phone call that nobody ever even had to know took place. But both of them offered without me asking to come on my podcast and talk about whatever I wanted to talk about. And that was like a just a huge light bulb moment for That's me. That's amazing. Was like, Wait a second. So three minutes, it's a, it's a no. Absolutely not. But you offered to come on for 40, 45 minutes where I can advertise that we spent time together and my audience benefits from your value as well as grows through the collaboration effort of your name recognition that I don't yet have. Like it was like a whoa, this is a mind blowing tool. Uh... I think that teaches you that people love talking about themselves. Oh yeah, right. Uh, I mean, that, it, it goes uh, from being like, I don't know if this is going to be, you know, good for my time, to being like, oh, you're going to promote me? Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, when you you started it like five years ago, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thousand and, yeah, so, and so, oh, actually, that, almost exactly a year, uh, almost exactly five years ago to this day. So when that when you started it, was it? It must have been before there was like such a deluge of podcasts. So like, yeah, so kind of started at a time where it was maybe easier to get yeah, it started. I think I was about three or four years late to the party, uh, to be okay. honest. Cause like I, I was right. I was right when people still thought the beginning way still worked. And so like everybody that I was learning from, they were teaching me things that worked in 2012, but there was a mass. So there, there was a, there was a, huge adoption of podcasts that happened between like 2010 and 2015. And so like if you came on in 2010, 2011, 2012, I mean there's less than 50,000 shows that that are available to listen to, you know what I mean? And most of them aren't active. So if you did a good enough job and you could hit top charts or rank really well, then uh then anybody that's looking to listen to podcasts which at the time astronomically outnumbered in a, you know, fraction type of a way, a disproportionate type of a way, the the number of shows that were available. And so if you could get onto top charts or like get to where people were discovering shows, you had a really high chance of like gaining a ton of traffic. By the time I got to it, there was over half a million shows. And so there was a lot more shows to choose from. And even though I jumped up on the top charts, it actually didn't really affect my downloads much. So like at the time I had to start finding new ways to build my audience because the 2012 ways weren't working anymore. Now, I would say it's more difficult than it was when I started, but not in an exponential way, very linear. So I'm like, I'm like nine years late to the party. Yeah, you're nine years yeah, late to the party. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that sucks. The bottom line is what I was going to say is like the point is if you're beyond anywhere 2012, 2013 and beyond, like it's going to be really hard. 
How many podcasts are there now? I heard two things recently, and there's always different numbers. I hear there is over 4 million. Somebody else told me 3 million uh, podcasts that are available. However, the stat that I continue to hear is that there's still not more than 1 million that are actually active. Oh, okay. Way more of uh, we call you know the 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 uh, ghost town of of abandoned podcasts that uh, people start and then stop. I think it's a good uh, rationale because I just finished season one, and I know it's going to be like a three year climb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To like, to like get this barrier to entry. Yeah, like just to yeah. get this above the fray. Right. And I have like in my world, I have like really famous marketers on, like the best yeah. marketers you can think of. So the get the quality of the guest is there. But yep. I got I got to get the name out there. Is that when you when you started Guestio to to help? Like, is exactly. that when you realized like, oh, I can help people with their podcasts? Absolutely, yeah. Because that was yeah. like one of the biggest things that grew my show was just me going on a bunch of other shows uh, that were yeah, way yeah, bigger yeah. than mine, but had similar audiences or you know were in the same niche or industry or talked about similar things. So I just made it a goal of mine. I think I've been on almost 400 podcasts now, but probably the top 10 of those move the needle the most. So like you get on good shows, they can help move the needle quite a bit because it's the only real way to know that you're targeting a podcast listener. You can go on Google and Facebook and Instagram and you can put out ads. But at the end of the day, you have to do more heavy lifting because there's billions of social media and Google users. There's still only like three to 400 million podcast listeners. You know, so like if you're just targeting on Google or some of these other things, you don't even really know if that person is a podcast listener. And if they're not, you have to teach them how to listen to podcasts. I was doing some research on like uh, podcast keywords the other day, and there was uh, one of the most searched things right now was I looked up the term "how to podcast." You know, and I was just like, what uh, what topics around how to and podcasting are there that I should be covering more? You know, and one of them that popped up was one of the top search results or top things that people are searching for: how to listen to podcasts. That's insane. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like you think like understand. for people like us, it's like, oh, like it's very self-explanatory, super simple. But there's a lot of people that don't know how to do it. And so if you're like throwing out ads in front of people that you don't even know are podcast listeners, they might even like the topic of the show, but then they're like, what do I do? <laughs> you know what I mean? And, Dude, like, that's you, insane to me. A, yeah. Yeah. It's that's crazy. insane to me. But um, I love it. I'm gonna keep doing it. It's been hugely rewarding for me. And yeah. you know, I I just I'm learning my way and and figuring it out, but it's the getting the guests has not been the hard part. And I, like like you, I've probably been on I don't know 200 something podcasts, yeah. primarily promoting my book when that first came out. And I noticed uh-huh. that there was about five big podcasts I was on. Those drove a ton of sales, and then it dropped off a cliff. Like the yeah. other ones, the drove, collective 195, like they drove almost <laughs> no sales. But right. the, but the big ones drive, you know, the rabid, you know, big downloaded podcasts, they just yeah. really convert in every way. Yep. Yeah. So that's another that's thing. That's because the audiences added. are the most loyal of any of any other content type. You know, like if yeah. you listen to a podcast all the time, it's like your show. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you, yeah, like and you, you pr- don't, and people like you probably don't just scroll through. And people probably only have room for like two or three favorites. They, yeah, like yeah, yeah. The, the, the stats that I've seen, the typical listener listens to six to eight podcasts in a typical rotation of shows and they'll switch between those six to eight podcasts. Yeah, like, yeah. But that's the thing is like, if you're on Instagram, you follow 3000 people, you know, like you could post 12 posts and that person may not even ever realize that you posted unless they went to your profile. Right. Podcasts, if they're subscribed, like they're subscribed, they're going to listen to a lot of the episodes. 
And yeah, yeah. when they press play, they're 80, they're, they're, um, 80% of podcast listeners uh, say that they listen to all or most of an episode after they hit play, which oh, again yeah. is unprecedented compared to any other platform, especially now because even YouTube's optimizing for shorts because they're trying to keep up with TikTok. So everybody's going like super short form except for podcasting. It's like the outlier uh, where that it still allows you to drive really long form, high engaging conversations with, with all of your listeners who are essentially ideal you know, customers of future potential products or services or whatever. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters. Is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Did you ever think like when Clubhouse came out that that was going to be... Remember how for like a month, it was the biggest thing ever. Did totally. you ever think that would hurt the podcast world? Absolutely you not. Kind of, you didn't. You kind of realized this is because everyone's at home and it's a fad. I thought it was going to do better than it did. I frankly gave up on it in about less than a week and a half. I was like, for a week and a half, I was all in. I was just like, I'm a podcaster. I got to be on Clubhouse. And I was doing it like a couple hours a day. And then after a week and a half or so, it, it, you know what got me, bro? It was time my son was like 18 months or something. Um, and we didn't have our daughter yet, but uh, my wife was pregnant and we had our son and we we're getting him ready for bed. It was just like one of our favorite times with the kids, you know? And so we're getting ready for bed. And I had a freaking clubhouse like on in the background and I was paying attention to the room while I was trying to play with my kid. And I was just at the time, that was the, time, the, the moment where I realized like, look, I don't have enough time during the day to do this. The only time that I have, like, cause I'm actually working, you know, that was the thing. I was like, how are people on here for nine freaking hours in a row? It blows know, my mind. I didn't understand but, but yeah, so like, I, I'm like, I'm working during the day. The only time I have is this like nighttime. But like, I got to the point where I was like, even if it is the next TikTok, I'm cool with not being one of the guys on here because like, it's taking up way too much time. It doesn't give me near enough return. And I'm disengaged from other activities that are extremely meaningful to me. And so I let it go 
pretty early on. And that was kind of why I thought it wasn't going to do very well. I was like, a lot of the people who are actually giving good advice are working during the day. Uh, that's why, like, to me, Clubhouse was full of two types of people. It was full of the people like the Grant Cardone type, whose literal sole job it is to drive attention to all these stuff that he already has going on. But he's got a team that takes care of all of it. And then the second type was the person who had nothing and they were trying to position themselves as the Grant Cardone type. Right. Those were the two types of people that are on there. The people that were in between the like beginner stage and the expert stage, they just were working <laughs> during, during working that's, hours. That's really, really <laughs> insightful because I, before I started the podcast, I did start a show on Clubhouse and it was like there'd be hundreds and hundreds of people in the room. Yeah. And then slowly, as Clubhouse kind of waned, it got smaller and smaller. And then I just yep. like, and then I just quit it. And I was like, I, I think it's not going to be the new podcast. Podcasts are the new podcast. Yeah. At the end of the yeah. day, like the, like I thought it might be able to take market share from social media. But to me, like pod, again, podcasting to me has always existed on its own little island because yeah. if I'm on a drive and I know I have 30 minutes, you could sit in a freaking clubhouse room for 30 minutes and not even get through the introductions of all the damn speakers on the moderation panel. You know what I mean? Because so people would take like four minutes to talk about how awesome they are. And yeah. then everybody wants to be a moderator. So there's 63 moderators. And it's like, we didn't even get to any content. And I've been listening for 45 minutes when I know that if I would have just put on an episode of whatever, Joe Rogan, yeah. Jordan Harbinger, Lewis Howes, like any of these podcasts, I know that I'm going to walk away with some very actionable and valuable insights in 30, 45 minutes because it's condensed. And something that Jordan always says is every minute of the listener's time is earned. And Clubhouse did a very, very poor job with that responsibility, which yeah. is why they ultimately went down, I think. Because like, if, you're not, if you're not constantly thinking about, like, is this, con is this actually worth listening to? And if you go an hour and it hasn't been worth listening to, you can only do that so many times before people are like, uh, actually, I got a lot of other shit to do. <laughs> I know, man. There was, yeah, it was, there was no guidelines and no rules. And it was appointment listening, which is not really val valuable, I don't think. But anyway, yeah. it's really interesting to see how everyone was talking about it. And then it just died. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, so I, fast. So on the podcast, man, I know you've been you've been talking to a lot of CMOs and stuff. Has there been anything that you've learned from somebody that you were like, hey, on this particular episode, we talked about this one thing and it actually actually kind of blew my mind and I've been doing this for years? I mean, I think almost on every episode there's something, there's some unlock like that. Cause I, I ask a lot about how they built the brand that they're working on, what their brand purpose is. But then I'll ask the person their sort of mantra in life and what how they go through life and and those things have been just really unbelievable and super inspiring and people in the podcast format will just open up you know they'll like be super vulnerable and pour their hearts out but you know i, I you know i learned a lot from you know how ge became like a massive company listed on the you know s&p 500 to how they are now splitting into different businesses and what happened to GE to make make that change or you know I've mm. been you know interviewing you know like I talked about Sam Parr but how he built uh events business into a newsletter business and how newsletter businesses make money and revenue and what what their worth is and their value to you know how you know having a there, there's a if you know the company Vista which used to be Vista Print yeah. that that they really decided their 
their consumer, their audience was going to be small businesses. And so by, by attacking a niche and core audience, they became massive because they weren't just offering services. They offer services to anyone, but yeah. they focused their marketing on a particular underserved audience that they yeah. could hammer to build that business. So I'm, you know, there's always one nugget, you know, that was, that one was about the power of, of focused marketing and the power of community and I'm trying to think there's so many of them. Those are three really good examples. The GE one sounds super interesting to me because I, I mean, like yeah. companies like that are fascinating. Like GE, you know, Johnson & Johnson, some of these companies where it's just like, how, like, do you do everything? How are you literally, you, you manufacture like any, like I was in a, I was getting an MRI. Did yeah, this, yeah. Stupid GE run for some reason. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, my foot was hurting a bunch afterwards. I did 38 miles with a couple of buddies of mine and I had to go get an MRI a couple of days later something wrong with my foot. And I went in there and I was laying down and I look up and I'm like, oh, GE. <laughs> Interesting. Like yeah, anything and that, that you can manufacture, GE does it. You know, And I think that was part of their marketing problem is, oh, this is my dishwasher and this is a jet engine and this is a healthcare, you know? Right. And, I, and I think when, when you don't know what the brand does anymore because it's popping up in different places, that's one reason why they're, they're creating three distinct Interesting. around that. I, I talked to the CEO of Comic Relief that does Red Nose Day. And that one was all about marketing a mission or marketing a nonprofit. And the differences mm -hmm. between that versus a for-profit brand and how you have to think about marketing a mission differently than you're marketing a brand. Um, so yeah, yeah. A lot, I've, you know, there's always something in each episode. So I just want to hit on a couple of highlights for some of the ads and stuff that you guys work on. And obviously, if you're listening to this, this is kind of a marketer's episode. And Jason's show, his brand, everything that he does is all you know by marketers for marketers. I'm curious that's all, to that's all I know, Travis. Yeah, uh, that, that's why we're that's, talking. That's my that's lane. That's all I know. That's all I know. <laughs> what is working right now on social media advertising, or have you guys changed your strategy, especially considering iOS updates? Was iOS updates something that you didn't even think about? Or was it something that was very top of mind? Did it affect your accounts? How can we make better maybe creatives that drive? Like what, what, what have you found to be like the thing that's been working today in your advertising? Well, I mean, obviously it goes without saying that the advent of, of TikTok has really changed the social media landscape. And mm. TikTok, the power of TikTok as a platform is really next level. And I've never seen something take share, you know, and mind share away from other platforms like TikTok has. And I think we got into TikTok early on in partnering with brands and leveraging influencers in, in new and different ways. But I, I always thought it would, I never thought it would be as big as it's become because yeah. the, the way you consume content is so different. It's also, you know, creating, we've created some of the first like TikTok challenges for brands and the, how successful they were. And it's a hard platform to crack because unlike YouTube, where it's all about, I have the most subscribers and my content's going to get seen a lot more, TikTok's a little more democratic yeah. in how you discover and find content. So it's really, you kind of have to, to have a brand be successful. You have to figure out how the brand can inject itself into culture or what's already happening or create a challenge that takes off. And so... It's a different way of thinking than I'm going to hire 10 big influencers, push my product, and I'll get a lot of conversion. So it's a real 
different way that our creative minds had to think uh, in order for TikTok. So that's one thing that, and it's always, you know, what's the, what's the next platform? You know, we're thinking a lot about the metaverse and Web3. We just helped launch for Jose Cuervo. Uh, we did a tequila distillery in the metaverse. And it's all about how you connect over tequila with other people in the metaverse, just like you would in real life. And so everything, it's constantly evolving and changing how you connect with consumers. And you have to really do a lot of calculated risk with brands. So you have to convince brands like, hey, a portion of your money should be the tried and true social media or digital content or you know streaming advertising or whatever it might be. But we need to carve out a portion of your budget. Because when we work with brands, we're usually the you know creative agency of record. So we'll kind of handle a bulk of their work. And a lot of our, my work and the team's work is convincing brands to say, you know, take 10% of your spend. And that has to be, uh, that has to be experimental. Yeah. And we're not sure what we're going to find. And we're not sure we're going to measure conversion or acquisition or market share or whatever we're trying to yeah. measure. But the value you're going to get from being first or early and the knowledge you're going to gain is worth that, that sliver of spend. Yeah. And that's been something we've been really pushing our brands for, which is challenging because they have, you know, like you said, we work with Fortune 100 brands. They have shareholders and they got to report quarterly earnings. And every dollar they put in, they got to really try to measure how many dollars they get out. Yeah, sure. And, and, and we had to really push for, you know, you, you need to start experimenting on other platforms in different ways. And, you know, you, you don't want to be the last to a new platform that's taken off. So, and you don't want to overinvest in something that you're not sure is going to take off. So that's been kind of more than like the technical stuff, like the updates and what has to change and, you know, what happens with cookies, et cetera. It's more for us about their percentage of spend and how we can keep them on the cutting edge, you know, which is, which is a challenge. Have you found your ad creatives to work cross platform or do you guys specifically film? or create different creatives that you put on specific, like made for a specific platform versus just like, let's put all our creatives on all platforms and test all of it? That's a great question. Because we, we used to run that way where creatives had to really be cross-platform. And we found it doesn't really work that way. Like, yeah. like, and we have like, let's say we have a lot of producers and producers that make the stuff, right? They run productions. You might be really good at hiring a super high-end, famous director to shoot a Peloton ad. And you might have all of that network in your Rolodex or your you know, phone, phone decks. And then there's other producers who are like, I know how to get really inexpensive 100 piece of content for low margin. And for a while, just like in the creative world, we wanted integrated producers that could do you know, a million-dollar TV spot and a $20,000 social media content. And we realized, you know what? That you can't do that. Like mm. your mind's wired one way or the other. And so yes. we kind of have producers in their lanes. Creatives the same way. Predominantly, what we focus on is building great brands. That takes a lot of strategy and creative and big idea. Like what's the brand going to stand for for the next one to three years? What's yeah. its mission? What's its purpose? That's one way of a creative mind works. And some people are good at that big idea. And then other creatives are good at like, hey, this is a really cool thing we could do with a Snapchat filter for yeah. this brand. And so yeah. we now are doing 
more specialized thinkers where there might be the big creative thinkers and then our social media creative experts will take that big idea and then figure out how do I extrapolate that idea to make it consistent, but make it work on an individual platform that I'm familiar with. And to, to think people can understand it all is it wasn't working for us. So we sort of yeah. bifurcated it and it's more of a team approach, but with different expertise. And that, that's been working for us much better, but I had to really through trial and error, figure that out. Oh, you know, you sure. can't be you can't be a creative. Some people can maybe, but very rarely can you find a creative, you know, Swiss Army knife. You sure. Know, they're sure. gonna be really good at one one thing or another thing. Where would you recommend? So somebody listening to this right now that's maybe solopreneur. They're making six figures. They want to start advertising. They've done everything through warm referral markets, whatever. They're, you know, I don't know, quarter million plus this year and they want to expand and start buying ads for the first time. What would be your advice to them? Like specifically platform, you know, it's like not not necessarily like what you're going to plug into the back end, but which platforms would be best? What types of creatives? Like where, where should you start if you're just like, you know what, I'm jumping into this game brand new this year? Well, I would start advertising on the, you know, Travis Chapel podcast. Probably. Yes. Uh, that would be number one. And that's all the time we have for today. So, uh, <laughs> and we are, we are out. <laughs> You know, I, it's, it's such a wide question because, you know, it could be a B2B business. It could be a D2C business. It could be they're selling a product. It could be they're selling a service. So it really, it really depends on what they're offering. But I will say in general, less maybe the platform, but you need to really circle around your core audience and insights around your core audience and do research around, okay, my my core audience is this type of person, this type of archetype, or they they have this type of need that I can address and find out through communication strategy where those people consume media. And you got to start at circling around the core. Like every, every great brand that's ever built, no matter if it's solopreneur or Fortune 100, you have to circle around your core audience and dive into research. So their money, the best money is spent first on getting a really good freelance strategy person or research team or whatever to tell you where you're, you know, identify, you need to identify as the solopreneur, who your core audience is, then have some outside experts tell you where they spend their time. Mm. And that's where you should be spending your money only. And once you've built that core audience and you become seven, eight figures, then you can start to expand to other areas. But it's always around, you always have to come back to who you built the brand for and what problem you're addressing and where they spend their time. And that's the only place at the beginning you should be spending any amount of money. You shouldn't be mm. worried about like, I'm going to try to become a famous brand or I'm going to try to... It's really about conversion and getting that community under your belt. Once you have a community and once you're successful, you can actually have your community start marketing for you and offer them mm. incentives, create loyalty programs, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But it all starts with that you got to circle in on that that core audience. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Love that. There's a resource too that I, I like to use for anybody that's listening uh, called Ask Wonder uh, that you can go to. And basically, you can pay graduate level researchers to do research work for you that you don't know how to do. And I've used it more than a few times inside of our businesses. And uh, that's, I mean, that's fantastic, fantastic advice for anybody. And does, has that been useful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, because like I said, I, I I don't know exactly where they. I don't have the time to find out how to research it, and I don't know how to research it properly or the correct sources and stuff. So they give you all their sources on the bottom. They write an entire report, links, data, everything that you're asking for. You know, they're used to doing research because that's what they do in their graduate programs. You know, essentially yeah. for a living. <laughs> you know, and even um, for our business, we're a marketing services business. Our core audience is if we can get to know. And back to the podcast that I talked about, if we can get to know the top thousand, two thousand CMOs, you know, out there, yeah. that's our core audience. That's who makes the decision of what agency to hire, or who to hire. So your your target audience can be rather small yeah. to really build a big business. And of course, it'd be great. It, you know, mechanisms. We've been around for a while. You know, seventeen, eighteen years now. So our name's fame, well known in the industry. But that at the beginning, I would I would focus on that. You know, small population, and that's true. Yeah. You can extrapolate that for for any business because there's going to be those decision makers that make all the financial decisions. And if you're well known to them, you're going to have a much better chance of success. And you you don't have to expand, you know, too broadly. Got to get known, man. Got to get got, known. Love that. Got to get got to get known. And then and I think the power of two things that we spent money on early on that I would encourage any brand, even if they're quarter million dollars, is that first first stage is that that research and insights that we talked about and the second stage that's really valuable that doesn't cost media money is the power of, of PR and creating stories around your brand where you're getting earned media and you're mm. not pay, paying for media impressions yeah but h- hiring a, a consultant a PR firm that you know those are way less expensive than advertising buying companies or or, yeah. or agencies but a P, the power of a really good PR firm in your industry to get your name out there uh, by doing, you know, solopreneurs doing speaking gigs, writing op-eds, you know, getting maybe creating a story that's really fascinating about why the company started. Yeah. But getting those things out there, those pay back in really, really big ways, really significant ways as well. Awesome, dude. Uh, as always, I appreciate you coming on the show. Um, if you're listening, Soul and Science Podcast, whatever app you're listening to podcasts on right now, just go to the search bar, type in uh, Soul and Science and subscribe to Jason's new show. You will absolutely not regret it. I'm a subscriber of the show. And now I have a couple of episodes that I'll definitely going back to, that I will definitely be going back to, to listen to as well. So I uh, appreciate you as always, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. That was great. Hey, hey, thanks for listening to this episode. That's it for today. As you all know, this show is completely free. Our only ask is that if you found anything valuable in this episode or in any of the episodes that you've listened to, then share it with somebody else and leave us a quick rating review in whatever platform you're listening to right now. It would be super, super helpful for us. Uh, so that's it for today, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Catch you next time.